0: What's up, everybody? It's your pal Sig Neutron for another episode of Sig Neutron Sputron, and this time I have a special guest, Alex Salier, like Slayer with the S in the or the L and the A switched. He he tells me that later in this episode, and I thought that was funny. Um, but uh, he's a phenomenal cartoonist. Uh, he's worked on many different shows from BoJack Horseman to Tuca and Birdie, uh, Animals, which I love animals, and this, <laughs> it's funny, this conversation uh, got so awesome that I totally didn't even get to ask him about animals, but uh, next time, because we'll definitely have him come back, but we talk about like life, sexuality, art, and I think the through line of this entire conversation is... Finding your genuine truest self because that's where the magic is. So uh, I'm Sig Neutron and this is. Sig Neutron.
1: Neutron. Neutron! Sleazy Sneutron!
0: Hey Alex, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Or, or being there and then we're yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> how's your day going uh it's going pretty good you know like this this whole quarantine stuff i mean i before it i was on this journey of self-improvement and this quarantine has i was already i was perfectly at a place where i was ready to begin i don't know it, it's only like helped further my personal growth i guess in a weird way
1: i can definitely relate to that i felt like 2019 was like all about kind of, like, realizing what was working for me in my life and, like, cutting out the shit that wasn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really hard, but uh, I felt, like, almost ready to be introspective yeah. for this long period of time. Yeah,
0: well, it's so int- like, like I, I have a theory. Like, I mean, like, so I'm, I'm like insano spiritual, I guess. And, you know, with the reverentism, like I just, I believe in like all kinds of possibilities and I can only speak from what's happened to me, but I believe that uh, there is a collective shift happening that it's almost like we're awakening from a dream. Because when I look at my own life, it's like I was, I was living in a, a kind of a nightmare, you know? And then at some point, like all this spiritual stuff happened and then these universal energies or deities or whatever you want to call it, like, we're like, okay, it's time to wake up. And now like, I just feel so like fresh and present and like eager to learn and, and grow it. I don't know. Life is fucking magical and exciting now,
1: you know? <laughs> yeah. Strangely enough. I mean, yeah, I, am like reading a lot more, uh, and like, not like fiction. Like I'm reading about like anthropology and evolution, just like how we got to this point. Yeah. And it's, it's like, now that for lack of a better term, we've taken like FOMO out of the equation so, like, instead of worrying about what everyone else is doing, we're kind of forced to, like, look within and be, like, figuring out what exactly is serving us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I, so how did you, before all of this, like, what was, like, the spark, which you have probably talked about in a mm-hmm. previous episode, but what was, like, your spark of, like, oh, shit, I need to
0: work on this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, well, I was like a hardcore alcoholic for like probably around like seven years. And um, and then we went to, and I was like in the process of trying to quit. And then we went to New Orleans and then uh, Ranny was with me. And then she just started channeling these like spirits of New Orleans. And she was literally like she had knowledge of the city. It was our first time being there. And we basically had like a tour guide of the city that she was like channeling these spirits. And then we're like, holy shit, like, this is crazy. And, like, I was filming a joke documentary about starting a cult, but then I, would like, shifted to filming about this, and so I've documented the whole thing, but then they came, the spirits came back with us, and then Rani kept improving her channeling, and then figured out that it wasn't, well, it was spirits, but also, like, there are all these archetypal energies, and then basically, like, the entire, like, all, the all is mind, basically. It's like, we're living in this great cosmic mind that everything is conscious, and like, it's just, they started to push me, to they, they help me stop drinking, because I, I realized that's what it was. It was like, I didn't believe in the magic of the world anymore. So, I, I just dove into a bottle, you know? It was like, I wanted an escape, and when I finally... Prove it like when proof fell into my lap, that was when I was like, oh, wait, no, this is it is magic, you know, and then that's when, yeah, I started reading more, uh, learning about all kinds of religions, theology, forced myself to learn quantum physics, like and and then it was just it's been like open the floodgates and it's like my life has just been getting better every day and it's like an adventure. Oh, it's
1: beautiful. I, yeah. I mean, and do you feel like the more you learn about different types of people and just like like different religions and everything? It increases your awareness of how diverse we all are, but at the same time, how we are all from the same source, kind of thing. And it's like we're one. I sound like it, like we're one entity in a way. Yeah, like it's we're all kind of the same person, but having a different experience. I absolutely
0: like, agree. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, it's uh, the so you start doing a lot of
0: like uh, research in different theologies and you get past like just the Western and the Eastern traditions or like, you know, I mean, Christianity or something like there are deeper explanations for like what we are. And a lot of the traditions say there was one source of everything that like split. And if you think about it, if you were the one thing that existed, like, wouldn't you want to split into other things so that you could experience yourself through, you know, a world, you know, it's like, I would split myself into all kinds of things. So because like, we give each other choice, we create a story. And that, like, we're active, we're authors and, and characters all at the same time. And, and I think it's like, it's a beautiful thing. But if it's like, once you start, the more you dig into your own psyche, the more you'll break through to this underlying universal, like, truth that we are, yeah, we all came from one source. I look at it like a, I just had this epiphany the other day. I look at it like a tree, like the source is the trunk of the tree. And then you grow out to these like archetypal energies, like basically character archetypes, right? Of like, and then it runs through the tarot and all of that. So then you have these archetypal energies, which are basically just decisions. Like if I make a, a decision to do this then i'm this archetype and if i make a decision to do this i'm this archetype so the more decisions you make of a certain archetype you essentially become that essence and then you start to grow out a little twig out of that branch of archetypal energy and then that's where we are at the very tip of that twig you know so it's like you could trace yeah. this all the way back to the source
1: yeah and i think because because we have branched off you know it i feel like if, if everyone, people that can find their frequency and like find what their kind of like purpose is or at least what they enjoy doing, like that's what you have to contribute to all of this madness and like how, how we keep it going. And, you know, I feel like because there's so many of us, everyone has a specific job to do here and It's sad, like not everyone can find it but if you do it's like you hold on to it you know
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i think that humans the more i relate computer concepts to humans the more uh we make sense like a lot of us are trapped in these corrupted programs and loops of like shame and trauma and abuse and you know like this stuff is like taught like when you're a kid like you look at somebody and they have a different skin color like that's normal you know it's like you don't even think about it you know until like a situation happened that taught you that something someone has a problem with it for some reason and then all of these like things become learned and then passed down generation to generation and like what we need to do is we need to recognize these patterns and and i think that i mean it sucks but i th- like it's a weird concept to grapple having compassion for like racists or like homophobic people or something. But it's like, in a way it's like, I think that might be the only way that we can move past this because yeah. like the more that we hate them, the more it creates a rift. And at the end of the day, people just want someone to like be nice to them that, that we all just want to be loved, you know? And it's like, we've been steeped in stories where we've had a lack of love and that's what creates these, these programs that just self-perpetuate trauma
1: yeah i mean how it's like when you're trying to quit like a bad addiction it you can't in order to help that person quit you can't scream at them and tell them they're terrible for doing it there needs to be a rehabilitation process and i feel like that works for prejudice too right Mm -hmm. like you're not going to convince some homophobic asshole see and i just did it now calling them an asshole you're not going to convince someone who has homophobic feelings Uh uh-huh to change their mind by calling them an asshole, like I did. <laughs> it's true. You, have to be, you have to take everything into consideration, like what they have been through, how they were programmed between ages like three and five, like you know, their their the amount of exposure they've had to someone who is queer, um, and you know, it's it's not necessarily their fault that they have all these ideas put into their head, like they were forced there. Mm-hmm. So having compassion towards that. I mean, we've all had prejudices that hopefully we've worked on getting through. You know, I think... I feel like there have been... That's why there's movements to create awareness. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there are a lot of people, including myself, that had not considered how hard it was to be Black until Black Lives Matter happened. Yeah. And it really like takes a lot to hear that sort of information, stuff that doesn't affect you, but you are like a part of the problem and like you have to change the way you think and you have to change your actions and what you say. Yeah, It's, it's not easy for people to do because it changes their reality. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's,
0: I think the most powerful thing a movement can do is spark a conversation actually. And we're, we're just now coming to this with the age of the internet and all this like free-flowing information and, and connectivity, we're starting to realize that the world is a lot bigger and it has a lot more problems that we've never had to deal with. And in a way, that's, like, that's kind of a beautiful thing. That's obviously the next logical step in human evolution is we have to start being aware of other people's problems. And, and i i have a theory if you saw like if someone's giving you problems it's because that person has a problem and if you if you work with that person to solve their problem then you've essentially solved your problem so if we start reaching out in compassion and looking at the roots of everybody else's problem eventually we're going to solve the root of all problems because like a problem is just somebody else with a problem yeah yeah,
1: yeah and it's i think it's hard to get people on board with that kind of idea because Optimism isn't always seen as wisdom, but it—it it is. It totally is. Because without that, we wouldn't have gotten this far. I mean, on the big scheme of things, I feel like humanity has only progressed. Like, like we do have setbacks and stuff, but it's... I mean, we've come a long way. And life is much easier for most people. hmm or at least half the people than it used to be. Um, Yeah, I would say for every, for how, what's that? I don't know if that's going to end soon, but.
0: I think it's a process. You know, once I started getting into alchemy and learning about that, I was like, holy shit, like all of humanity makes sense now. And that's, I like, I try to tell everybody like, man, if you want to understand people and why things suck, like just start figuring out, or just learn about alchemy because it's all about, there's all of these Like we have like basically a big vessel of a bunch of bullshit and then we've got to like apply fire to it. We have to like strain it out. We have to go through all this process to extract the like the prima materia, the the core essence. And that's what we're doing as a society is like we're learning about all these problems that we have. And now we have to face them. And now we have to actually think about them and give them our attention. The most powerful thing you can give is your attention. And, you know, and yeah, like you said, it's people are afraid because that shakes their worldview. Because like we're all subject to the limitations of our own perspective. Yep. And now we're realizing that our perspective isn't necessarily the whole story. And, you know, I, th- I think, yeah, for like everything that seems bad right now, I mean, if you look at it, the, like the mainstream, like the, pra- the pride parades and stuff, they're on like mainstream news networks and stuff, you know? And it's like, so like somewhere a kid somewhere in like backwoods somewhere could actually like see that on TV and be like, Oh, okay. Like I'm not alone. You know, it's like there's Uh, the visibility is like so important. And
1: you know, I, I have a lot of feelings about that. I mean, growing up as a gay kid, especially like when I did not especially, but it was probably better than like it was in the sixties or something. But yeah, nineties, you know, I knew I was gay for a long time, like since I was really, really young. And I grew up very, very Christian, so it did not help. And uh, it was really isolating. And when you saw someone on TV come out, like Ellen DeGeneres, for example, Rosie O'Donnell, who else, Like, but anyways, but they were punished. They were always punished for, for that. Um, athletes kicked off the team. Um, And so the message that I got growing up was, you come out, you're done, you're abandoned, Mm -hmm. and one will want you anymore. So to see, I mean, I I feel like drag is a big part of um, gay empowerment or queer empowerment. I think, and we have that on TV like RuPaul's Drag Race is like this huge phenomenon hit now. Mm-hmm. And and now like people are praised for being queer. Um, I can't imagine that as a kid and like having that reassurance and what it's gonna do for future queer people, is, it's like, it's so cool. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's a slow process, but we definitely we see it moving, you know, and, and that's like, yeah, so me growing up, like, it's weird, like, I never, um, I don't know, I was always, like, really comfortable with myself, and I even, like, explored the, like, and, and I don't know if people do this, because, like, nobody really ever talks about it, but I was, like, when I was uh, going through puberty and exploring sexuality and stuff, like, I actually, like, considered, like, am I attracted to, to men? You know, and I and I gave it an actual like legitimate like I thought about it and like experimented like with with thought, you know, and and then I just it, you know it's no I was ended up I was I was more attracted to women and it, but it's like you know like society is, makes all these like outlines and rules and it's like it just prevents people from even like exploring the possibility, you know, and and I honestly think it's like it, it's totally it's it's a spectrum, you know, there's no cut and dry. You know, there's it's either like it just as much as like I feel like in a sense, uh, like flavors, like why do you like the flavors that you like? You know, and, and as I'm not like demeaning like the, you know, sexuality or, or, you know, but I'm just saying like it's a sense that it's like it what speaks to you and, and you, can you explain why that speaks to you? Not really, you know.
1: What I want to say, like comparing it to food isn't demeaning because it really is it really should be taken that seriously. Like, it should not be... It should be as controversial as liking one flavor over another of ice cream. Like, it shouldn't be a fucking issue at all. Yeah. But it is because... I don't know. Like, people just... Did it start with sexism? Did it start with... Who knows? It's just... I, I feel like if we were all seen as more than just like the gender that we're assigned or like the sex we're born with or whatever, like people are just people, then I think a lot of people would just not care if they were gay, straight, or bi, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It'd just be like, oh, I like this person. I'm gonna be with you. Mm-hmm. Cause you like me, you know? It it just, it limits everybody. Yeah, well I see, You know, the cool thing is I
0: see, androgyny start to sprout and blossom in the younger generation. And it's like, and that's a direct product of our generation going through the really heavy, like, well, I mean, that's a direct result of like every past generation of going through what they had to go through. Uh, and, and you see it start to like, it's, it's the alchemy of it. We start shedding a little bit of like trauma and like hangups each generation. And eventually like we're embracing this, like just androgyny. And it's like, yeah, dude, like love who you want to love, you know? Like, and it, it's like, I, I feel like right now we're still in a point where it's important. I see the, I see why labels, in a sense, are important, like uh, bisexuality or pansexuality or any. Like at this moment in our transition, it's important to define concepts, I guess, in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. But ideally, we want to move to a society that, like, they're, you know, the. We're trying to define how to love someone which is impossible to define you know love is love you know we can't we still can't even i can't even like explain what love is to you you know love is something different to every person you know yeah um but yeah it's because i i thought a lot about that because like i tried to take this stance of where like you know i'm not trying to like label any kind of sexuality or anything but then somebody brought it to the the point where it's like it's important for them because they right now they find their tribe and they find their support group through that label. And I'd never, I'd never really kind of like occurred to me that
1: way, which is an interesting perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely nice to go to like a, a queer space because, and to know where you can go because you know, we are kind of specific still. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen you at some of
0: those spaces too. Yeah, dude, I love, man, I, it's like, I, I just, I, it blows me away that like, cause there's always just such an overwhelming feeling of like love there. It's like unbridled, yeah. like un- just, you know, expressions of love. And it's like, man, why, why, why would anybody be closed off to this? You know? And it's, and then the answer is, is because somebody hurt them. Somebody, somebody encoded some kind of hang up into their being, because they, they shamed, and shame is such a powerful tool of control. And we're, uh, you know, it, it's horrible.
1: I I still struggle with a lot of shame just growing up, you know, with, you know, all the, the anti-homophobic stuff. I mean, the anti-gay stuff mm. uh, in, in the church. But, yeah, like when I go to uh, like a, a a dance, club like a gay night anything I feel like those ladies at church that like have their hands in the air <laughs> Jesus and they're like oh he loves me and like I love God like I just feel that when I'm just like dancing to an Ariana Grande song at a bar like that that's when I finally got spiritual I guess yeah. is from like, going to nightclubs and i felt i just felt like a weight was taken off of my shoulders whenever i would go Mm -hmm. And, and just be around like the gayest shit you can imagine and and i think that's why i love drag so much it's is because it's someone that we're all looking at who feels like empowered by how queer they are and that is like Like the gayest you can be is like being a man wearing a dress or being a woman dressed as a man, like whatever you want and and just like displaying it and performing. And it's just, it makes me feel like powerful and not weak for what I am. And it makes me feel like I I have, um, I deserve to feel confident too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And
0: I, and I I see, see people with that argument of like, well, before I'd like, yeah, like, like yeah, dude, you got, the, you got the Holy Spirit, as they call it. Because like, if you think about it this way, it's like, you're in a, you're surrounded by people. Like we talked about, like, we're all one. Well, you, you find these spaces where you're surrounded by people that are so like, they just get it. And you're surrounded by love. Like the Holy Ghost is love. That is the universal cosmic underlying force of everything is love. And so mm-hmm. it's, of course, like you're surrounded by that. And like some of the most, transcendent mystical experiences I've had are on a dance floor just surrounded <laughs> by people and just like moving we're just movement and love you know it's like when you're dancing you're not you're not thinking you're not overthinking anything you're just letting it out you're moving and everything is movement so it's like your your body is physically becoming a waveform of vibration that is just vibing with everybody in rhythm in sync in harmony you know and that's that's fucking magic
1: yeah, it's you're you're all kind of um, shedding something and you're letting go and which is really really vulnerable mm-hmm. to do, but you're doing it with a bunch of other people. And it also, like I used to be so scared to dance in front of people. And then I just came to this realization that, oh my God, no one gives a shit about how insecure I am. No one cares that I'm embarrassed. Like, so why should I like, no one, like everyone's focused on themselves. Yep. And so I should do the same. <laughs> yeah.
0: I always say we're the, we're the devils of our own hells or the angels of our own heavens. You know, it's like how you feel about yourself and how you see the external world is everything to you. And, you know, that's, uh, yeah. And it's interesting too, because I think that like, I've been doing a lot of thinking about like psychedelics and and psychedelic use and stuff. And now I'm really like, because when I got sober and I started doing meditation and improving my levels of consciousness and like actively like working on it, I was having these like transcendent psychedelic experiences that were like psychedelic drugs. And I was like, holy shit, like there's got to be something because science still doesn't understand drugs. It's another thing that we shame people about. And it's like, no, you do drugs. You're bad. Like, this is bad. Like drugs can be bad. Don't get me wrong. But I think that there is something there that it's like unlocking some part of our brain that, uh, are you were you're seeing in, in higher dimensions. And of course, like, it's interesting because like, I think dance is so spiritually powerful and transcendent. So of course, like dance parties and drugs would start to find their way towards each other because like people are having these mystical shamanic experiences that they don't even realize that they're having because it's like, you know, uh, like,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh. I didn't even like connect those two,
0: yeah, I kind of just made that connection right now <laughs> that's cool, yeah, it's like because i'm I'm trying to develop what the idea of reverentism is, and I've just decided that lately I'm gonna start being a lot more open about my psychedelic use and because I think it's another important conversation that people need to have like uh, the midnight gospel just started the conversation too, um, talking about drugs in, in different ways because essentially we're just talking about. Our own consciousness like why do drugs affect us the way they do there's something that we should be exploring there because like if you've ever done a psychedelic drug it breaks the it breaks the veil of whatever reality is you know what i mean like you get you you're swept up to somewhere else
1: <laughs> i've never done it oh well i mean that's fine too yeah i've <laughs> seen a lot of weed and i feel like i have gone there with weed mm-hmm i weed does not relax me yeah it it forces me to like look at shit that makes me really anxious and like be really like i used to think that it just gave me panic attacks but i think it was just kind of pulling that veil away like you said and
0: mm-hmm. which is like kind of uncomfortable a little bit it's and that's why i think that it's important to have this conversation is because i look at drugs and psychedelics now as like almost shamanic tools and like but also hell yeah I mean like if you're gonna do them responsibly do them for fun too they're they're fucking fun you know but just make sure that you're doing it safe but there's another level to this that people more people will start doing drugs properly and more safely if we have a lot more people being honest about how you should do them and set and setting is like everything a lot of people will take these drugs that have never taken them before and they're with all these people that they don't really like or in a a place that's kind of skeezy and uncomfortable, and it's like, dude, you start, you vibe with that stuff so hard, like, and it will like immediately infiltrate your psychic barrier, and then you'll have a bad trip, you know. And mm-hmm. it's like, I think if we had people like, look, do it this way, then people are going to see so much more like psychological benefits from these experiences.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely benefits having people kind of like mentor in a way on how to do things responsibly and in a way that will benefit you for sure
0: yeah and again it's just another aspect of culture that you know dropping the stigma and and the shame and just having honest conversations like what happened to the honest you, you know it's like I'm at a point in my life right now it's like I will have I will gladly have the uncomfortable conversation for people if they're not able to have it you know yeah and like not saying that they shouldn't have the conversation but sometimes just like why stories and characters are so important. We actually learn a lot about ourselves and process our own problems through the shows we watch, which is a perfect segue into a show like uh, what you do. You you uh, <laughs> you make <laughs> cartoons, which is amazing. It's so fun. I Yeah, I love it. Um... Yeah. So my segue was mainly because uh, you've worked on BoJack
1: Horseman, right? Yeah, I worked on... Um... I've worked on quite a bit of things at this point, um, but yeah, I worked on BoJack. Um, I worked on Tuca and Birdie. Did you ever see that one? Yeah, and it, yeah, because that was so. I was getting to uh, BoJack
0: and Tuca and Birdie is because they, I love those shows so much because they, those characters in those shows, they deal with very real, raw problems. Oh yeah, and and, and it's like, it's so cool to see the nature. Even our cartoons now, they've always. Our cartoons, if you pay attention, these archetypal characters have dealt with issues that we deal with, and some more uh, overtly than others. But now it's getting to the point where our cartoons are morphing into these like really helpful um, shows. You know, it's like because they're they're struggling and dealing with these problems like addiction and and modern problems, and it's like wow, like huh, I never thought about it. You can help someone think about something in a different way by using a character to explore that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you're able to hone in on very specific things that happen in life and kind of cut out all the bullshit, kind of like the alchemy thing you're talking Mm -hmm. about. It's like, you know, you get to know these characters in such a short amount of time. And, uh, you just see like the important highlights, what it, what it seems, and and but you're like laughing along the way, which I feel makes like the emotional stuff so much more powerful. Like in in Tuca and Birdie when, because um, it's such a wacky like funny show, and then when it gets to that really serious point where Birdie goes into her childhood uh, trauma, like when she was sexually assaulted. Um, I feel like it really hit people hard and it really like, and it, I think it does do that thing where it kind of brings you to that place where you, you know, if, it, if that happened to you, you kind of relive it through that character and it's, it's like a processing. Yeah. Um, well, it's like you, you like experience- was,
0: you experienced it the way that you did, but then when you can go revisit that and watch a character experience it the way they experienced it, then you can also watch it in, and see how they deal with it. Because also the point of writing that character in that situation was to help someone learn something about it. Or even the writer is actually working through maybe their own trauma in writing the character. So it's it's this transmutation process that has many layers of like, how we can transmute these traumas into experiences that make sense from us and distill the wisdom from the trauma.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it it helps remove shame too. When you, when you see that someone has the guts to put that story out there. Yeah. And it, it removes that weight a little bit. I I
0: think isolation might be like a, a big, uh, f- oh kitty. Um, a big like factor in shame because when we, we're shamed into thinking that nobody else does this, nobody else has experienced this, nobody else feels that way, so then yeah. you think that you're the odd one out for feeling that way, and that's why I try to make it like and, and I'm working through my own hang ups and shame and stuff, like as I go through. Through this, because like I try to just start being as open and, and honest and blunt about who I am and all the weird shit that, that goes on in my head. Because the more I think we all start talking about this, the more we're all going to realize, like, we're all pretty fucking weird. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, sorry, kitty, I just whacked
1: her in the head. So I didn't mean to. <laughs> she's like, geez. <laughs> okay, anyways, <laughs> she's fine. Um, uh,
0: yeah. What was I, was I was saying that said.
1: we're uh, well. Once we're all open about it, we'll all realize that we're all weirdos. Exactly. I mean, and everyone kind of thinks everyone else is crazy too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we all think someone is fucking weird, but we we're we're all weirdos. We're all just animals wearing costumes that have like created this crazy world. There's just so many of us, and uh, I think we forget. To like we need to step back and realize like it wasn't always this way there wasn't you know there weren't all these established rules on like what a human being does and is and what a woman does and what a man does and you know um like if, if you have you ever read the book sapiens no oh it's fucking good it's basically just like a history of humankind nice and it you know we used to you know, we started out in trees and we started walking on two legs and we were in small groups all over the world and everyone had their different ideas. and Like the world was way more diverse, even though there were a lot fewer of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more people that we made, like there, there are more rules that have to be set in place in order to keep everything functional, right? Mm-hmm. We can still function and be ourselves too like as a society like you can you can be a woman that quote unquote is more masculine whatever that means you can you know you don't have to fit these roles Mm -hmm. that are set up yeah and i uh oh
0: did it free okay yeah now i and it's weird because like i i believe in reincarnation now uh so i believe that we're all genderless souls um that that basically our bodies are just our physical spacesuits that anchor us into time space. So my body anchors my mind into this narrative, this storyline so that we can have this conversation right here. If I didn't have my body, my mind would still be conscious and aware, but it wouldn't have a vessel to plug into. It would just be out, you know, free floating. Um, And with that, like, and I've I've done some, like, past life regression meditations and things, and it's like, dude, I know I've been, like, women. I know I've been men. I know I've probably been women who like women. I've been men who like men. Like, it, I just, you know, infinity is a long time, you know? And it's like, uh, it's, that's why it's like, in this lifetime, I prefer women, you know? But, like, maybe in the next lifetime it'll be different. Like, who knows? It's like, it's all about just the, ex- it, like, when you look at it on, like, If you look at reincarnation as a legit uh, theory, then it opens up a lot of uh, social questions about like, man, this is like a drop in the bucket, and we have like many hangups on. Uh Oh, I lost you. Oh. I still see you. Hello? Can you hear me? Oh, no. I still see you. You don't see me? Oh, now I see you. Okay, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I was just saying, it's kind of like, this is just like a drop in the bucket, you know? And it's and it's interesting how we develop so many like i i just we just need a, a collective like just chill like relax take a little sigh of you know i don't know just we're so clenched up you know yeah
1: yeah i do do you think that everyone has access to that though or do you think it's like a privileged few that can do that at this point oh uh, reincarnation no I th- see Oh, it's- just uh, being able to like take a breath and, like, oh
0: you know I think it is I do think it's capable I think everyone is capable of it but it's you I th- also I think in a sense we suffer to understand and I think that's kind of what the Jesus archetype is trying to teach us um, is that Sometimes you can't understand a concept until you've actually suffered through it long enough. Because Mm -hmm. like, for instance, my alcoholism, I couldn't kick the habit until the habit got so bad that it was like, that I was like, okay, man, like I am really just this, this is horrible. I'm putting myself in hell. It's time for me to make a change. And it, but it, it's like, when it was like kind of a problem, it's like, eh, I don't really need to change it. It's just kind of a problem, you know? But then when I was like, okay, this is a major problem then I'm like, I finally understand. I have put myself through enough hell. It's time to change. So I think that anybody is capable. It's just, what is the catalyzing event that makes them able to like able to veer out of the, the circular loop that they're stuck in?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing that you came to that. And that you got out of that because some people it's, it's like, I feel like, I feel like any, everyone has the opportunity to change and like they can do it, but some people get so deep into it that it just feels like they can never get out.
0: Yeah. I it's, think, I think if we were all a little bit more compassionate though, I think because I, once you're deep in the hole, the world already, the world you create inside your head feels like an ugly, scary place. And when the actual world outside of yourself is an ugly, scary place, then you're never going to find your way out of that ugly, scary place because it is external and internal. So I think the more that we extend compassion and understanding to our fellow humans, the more we can help people out of their own mental health.
1: Yeah. And do you think the way out of that is like giving someone hope and giving someone some sort of platform to go off of?
0: yeah I think uh hope is always important. Hope is if we didn't have hope uh we would we'd have nothing because think about through throughout human history like shits sucked like a lot of the time, <laughs> you know like we have went through many sucky eras and at world events, and how did we get through those events because somebody somewhere believed that there was a gonna be a day that something was better, yeah. And if, yeah. we, if we don't believe in that day, then we might as well just give up.
1: Yeah. And like resilience and, and you know, being positive positive, all that stuff is really great. But hope is the thing that really you have to hold on to in order to get through that shit.
0: Yeah. And eventually through hope, we, when you have that hope and you put in the self-work, uh, and to better yourself, and then you start to believe in magic, and you start to see the deeper intricacies of this reality. Then that hope turns into illumined faith, and and I like the concept of illumined faith because f- faith, in a sense, as we know it and how it's used today, is sort of blind. It's like I just believe that it will happen. You know, it's like I'm not going to do anything to make it happen. I'm not going to work towards anything. It's just like I put my faith in this God outside of myself. You know. But illumined faith is something that you work for through the process of alchemical transformation by facing your demons and like overcoming and self-exploration until you find that faith within yourself. And that, that faith is a belief in yourself. And when you believe in yourself, like you said, we are all attached to that source, then you believe in the source of all things. So if you can find the faith in
1: yourself, it goes all the way back to source. Yeah, that's actually like what I've been experiencing in the last two years. And I didn't know that there was like a word for it. I thought it was just like manifesting, Uh maybe. Well,
0: I mean, I think manifesting is the action. That's how you wield illumined faith is you like you are. You have so much belief and faith in yourself and your actions that you start to manifest your reality based on your faith in yourself.
1: Right. And because you have this specific goal in mind for like where you want to go you're able to see certain opportunities come up that you wouldn't, unless you were thinking that way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Actually, yeah. It is. It's, like it's,
0: in, a, in a sense, it's a form of self-awareness. Um, once I've dropped all of my, or tried to, I'm still in the process, but like dropped all my hangups and all this shit, you start to see the world for what it is. And then you can see through the confusion and you can see your opportunities when they arise. Sometimes we're just so distracted that we don't realize that opportunity and abundance is all around us all at all times.
1: Yeah. I used to be really drawn to people that, because I feel like I've always kind of thought that way and that's what's gotten me a lot of things that I've wanted. And, but, and I, I was always kind of drawn to people that thought the opposite and just Saw the world as, like, this really dark, sad, um, and almost, like, unforgiving place. Mm-hmm. And I was really drawn to those people because I really, deep down, felt like I could... I should be friends with them because I can show them how to get out of that. And it, like, never worked. <laughs> and I don't... I don't know, like, what the secret formula is. Like, I... And it's you know, it's not fair to it was unfair of me, which I learned through introspection, it was unfair of me to put pressure on people to change instead of just like letting them live their life. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know, I, I I I if I I was really kind of like fucking myself over a lot by focusing on trying to help people like that, yeah. which well, it's sounds
0: mean. No, but it doesn't mean. Yeah, no, it's, you've, uh, you've actually touched on the secret formula on how to help people change, is that you realize that you can't change people. It's, we have. what I'm learning is that we have to, the only way we can change the world is to light the way for the world to change itself. And we do that by living our own personal truth so fully and so visibly that when mm-hmm. others see us, the people that are ready to change find their way to our light. And then we're just lighting the ground for them to find their own path and, and for them to find their own change. Because like, yeah, of course, like we have this inherent, like we want to seek people out and we want to help people. And sometimes that can be important. I think it's all about f- listening to your intuition. But yeah, I'm realizing that it's just, we just have to live our truth. And, and the people that need our help and need our
1: light will find us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like people that, you know, want to kind of go with you along this journey or whatever. um, If they, like, you should share that with them if they want it, Mm -hmm. but never force it on anybody. Right.
0: Yep. Yeah. And that's kind of like why I'm trying to like re break open the concept of religion and spirituality is because all of our generation, it's, it's always been forced upon, like, you know, like it's, everybody's been told you have to do this or you're going to hell. And it's like, uh, Like, again, that's another it's shame and fear. Like what kind of society is built on shame and fear? The society that we're living right now, you know, and and we're, we're, we're starting to see the paint the paint chip and we're realizing the foundation is rotten. So we've got to, like, tear it all down and start over. And but it's a slow tear down where, like, we want to keep the house sort of standing as we dismantle it to, like, fix the source problem, you know?
1: Yeah, there still needs to be like a foundation and some boundary boxes and, you Mm -hmm. know, people need boundaries, I think. Definitely. I agree. And but yeah, man, the hell. Did you grow up religious? Yeah. Well, so uh, my mom, she wasn't
0: like she was never forceful on it, but she took us to uh, like Pentecostal churches which are like Mm -hmm. the holy rollers where they speak in tongues and like shout things in your face and put their hands on you and stuff. Like I was literally, I I was traumatized, man. Like it was uh, scary. (laughs) uh, Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I grew up, um, very like born again, uh, very rapture focused. Okay. Yeah. uh, I mean, I, as a kid, I, I truly believed that the apocalypse was happening and that like did you you know like the whole left behind oh, concept yeah. of yep. raptured up? Well, that's what I was raised with. So, you know, they said one day no one's gonna see it coming, but all the true Christians will be sucked up and like their clothes will be left behind and there will be this big event and the world will be in an apocalypse for seven years and um, and all this stuff. And you know, my my family and my church for everyone that was a believer, it was like really comforting in a way to them, like knowing that they'll not have to experience this apocalypse. But me knowing I was a faggy little kid hearing all that stuff. I was like, okay, well I'm going to be left here because I even asked, like, like, even if I believed in Jesus with all my heart, which I did, it was not enough because gay people, we're not truly christian because if they were they wouldn't be gay. And so i felt like i had no hope for my future as a kid. I had no hope for i didn't believe i was going to be an adult. I thought the apocalypse was going to happen like while i was a kid and i wouldn't have parents and all this. And so i had i had so much shame and i had so much like i was so negative as a kid and just like scared of everything. And had absolutely no hope. So I was kind of like this empty vessel. But I did have animation and cartoons that I could, like, escape into. And um, I felt like when I was drawing, I was in control of, like, this world that wouldn't punish me. And, you know, um, and just having art was really what got me through until I was finally able to abandon my faith. But that was, like it's hard to abandon something that you really truly believed in and that if you abandon it, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. And like, when you believe in eternity and being in pain for eternity, it is real. It is so scary. And I still struggle with the like, what if they were right all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if I'll ever get over that, but it's, it's very damaging yeah and absolutely um, and i you know with with everything that's going on now i'm seeing people that were so optimistic and hopeful and stuff believing that the world is ending and i know how awful it is to think that way and let it just ruin any hope for your future that you have but i just i don't I don't think it's benefiting anyone to think that way. And I don't want anyone to, it's Mm -hmm. not going to serve you. Um, You really just have to focus on a day to day mindset. Yeah.
0: Presence being very present is a, it's a powerful thing.
1: Yeah. Sorry. I went on for a long time. No, no,
0: that, that was perfect actually. Cause it's like, uh, dude, I, so uh, first I want to point out, this is great. Cause like, it's the first like, like in-depth conversation that we've ever had. And then uh, like, we immediately just like start cracking open the heavy hidden topics. I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's stuff that I, is really important to me and yeah, um, absolutely. I, it's, it's very real for a lot of people. And I, I don't think people really talk about religious trauma that much. No. I don't think, And so, I mean, the reason why you've seen my art, it's very, very sexual, very, like, irreverent and, like, funny and all this stuff. And because of my religion and, and my sexuality, I just, I grew up thinking I was, like, this perverted, like, disgusting monster. And, um, sexuality, I just wanted to turn my eye away from it for so long, um. But now I find a lot of power in, like, making it silly and fun and, like, showing people that um, it's not something that's anything to be ashamed of. It's just, like, part of who we are and... Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's I I think it's great that because like, we'll realize that uh, nobody really talks about spiritual traumas, but actually our generation is riddled with spiritual trauma because of religion and, uh, and the ways that we were taught and the ways that we were shamed. And then that manifests in all other areas of our lives, like uh, problems of like homophobia and things like that. It's like, it sort of alls. It all circles back to whatever story we were told about whatever whatever existence is, you know. And a lot of people were shame because, like, the the truth is, I think, is that nobody understands, and that's the scariest part of all for most people is the unknown. Like, I don't. We don't know what this is, so we have to cling to this story of whatever this is. And if you deviate from that. Fuck you! You're gonna burn in hell. You know it's like, but that's they're just scared because like that means if you deviate from this, then you're shaking up my worldview, and I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like
1: changing the reality. It's it's telling you that you're wrong, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. That you thought wrong.
0: It's interesting too because like uh, for like sexuality and sexual themes in my work, it was pretty non-existent, and I was always like kind of embarrassed and really shy when it came to like sex stuff. And then when Randy came up, yeah. And it's like, I don't even know necessarily where I developed that. I mean, I didn't even have uh, overbearing uh, Christian parents or anything. It was just, it was always something that was a little uncomfortable for me, you know? And now like, like, uh, you know, Randy, when we started making art together, like she brought like all the sexy and (laughs) that was a big part of her style that she wanted to bring. So then I started exploring like the sexual sexiness of this. And then my monster sleazy grossness met her like sexual pinup fun times. And then it just And then it helped me explore topics that I was uncomfortable with. And now it's like, now my art is starting to like reflect like sexuality and and it's like, yeah, it's like, I just feel so empowered by exploring all of
1: these topics that people told me I couldn't, (laughs) you know? Why the fuck not? I mean, we have one chance at this life. Like, I think just, like, explore things and, you know, I don't know. Life is pretty fun and weird. Yeah, and if you look at,
0: like, here's my thing. Uh, This is why I don't believe that there is any place that exists that's like hell. Uh, at least, what we could worse than we could do to ourselves. Like, uh, we're a model for for how hell works. If there is a hell, it's somewhere that's in our own mind that we possibly go and we die. And that's probably the riddled with trauma place, the dark place. But we do this to ourselves. Like, we shame ourselves, we hurt ourselves, we put ourselves through hell. So when mm-hmm. we pass away, and if we're stuck in that mindset, I believe that we can travel to that place, but only as long until we learn what we need to learn to get out of the place. Because if, if these traumas stick with us, it's always because there's a reason. If you look at the universe, there's a point to everything. Everything moves in a progression. Like, everything is going somewhere. Everything has a purpose. Everything's trying to do something. A flower's purpose is to bloom. But, you know, like, that's important to that flower, you know, and it is beautiful, and it just unfolds and it is. It, it is yeah. what it is. Shirt, sure. This flowers all over it. Yeah, I love that shirt, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like, uh, but if there was a, a place of eternal punishment, there's nothing to be learned in a place like that. There's no point to a place like that. It, would, it doesn't make logical sense. And the universe makes plenty of logical sense. And there's a structure to all things. So there may be a place that we might suffer. But I think it's a place that we get caught up in ourselves. And But there's always a way out of that place. Mm-hmm. And if you're there, it's because you have something to learn. And then you just learn what you need to learn. And then you progress, just like life.
1: Yeah. Well, because they say, that like, hell is, you know, you are cut off from God. You have no connection to God. So, like, if you think of God as either, like, a collective conscious or, like, you, like, being connected to yourself, listening to yourself, and doing things that are good for you, then you are with God Mm -hmm. and if, if you're the people around you and I guess maybe as a kid I was in hell and because I I cut off knowing what my body was telling me and knowing what I needed and I think because of all that shame and cutting myself off from people and myself the hell that I created was running my life and making it seem like I couldn't get out. And and I think, honestly, that's probably why I got picked on, too. Because, like, if you have shame and you're, like, wanting to ostracize yourself from everybody, you definitely make yourself a target. Um, But it's kind of like society does that to you, then you do it to yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you don't let all these ideas affect you and define you, then you can kind of stop that. And I think it's because of people like that in minority groups People that were like, no, 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 they're wrong. We do have power and we can we can show them. Those are the people that started getting everyone else to think that way and mm-hmm. be it's brave. The, the outsiders, that's
0: a, like irreverentism. That's a big part of like the outsider, the weirdo, the outcast. They serve such an important archetypal role in society because they show you that there's something more. Like they show you what's out there. They show you the unknown because they push for it. And mm-hmm. and they show the rest of us. So it's like, I feel like the world is almost like this little bubble that keeps slowly condensing back into like conservative, like just oneness, you know, like nothing deviates from the norm, like true order. I guess, uh, yeah, in a sense, like this is the like order and chaos. Perfect chaos would be utterly like Chaos, there would nothing could form in utter chaos because there could be no narrative that would form or anything. But then perfect order would be everything is perfectly placed into a. It would be like perfect geometry, like and everybody would know their role and they would be there perfectly, and then there would be no deviation. So we live in this perfectly imperfect world a little spectrum where we have free will and we can deviate from the norm and but we can strive for order but we can also cause chaos and it just creates that's that's the balance in the yin and yang of the universe
1: it's really cool yeah
0: and oh and before <laughs> i forget like I, that, that's such a cool uh that's a really interesting perspective that you said that's like when we cut ourselves off from our true self we essentially cut ourselves
1: off from like god yeah and and yeah that's can't contribute to the world and I think that needs to be taught is like like individualism and like the idea of being an individual mm-hmm. and the idea of being part of a group can work together absolutely and I it, it you know and I think a lie that a lot of people tell themselves especially like like shy like nerds or queer people and the lie that you tell yourself is because I'm different I cannot be involved in this yep So you push yourself away even further. But if you embrace, like, I'm different and that's good and I I do have something to bring to all of this, then you force yourself into that group and find your group within that group that adds to the whole. And then you're good. Like, you, you can find your rhythm and find your people. And does that make
0: sense? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, the, that's one of the huge goals of irreverentism is to come together collectively to embrace individuality. And the group will encourage each individual in the group to be the individual. Because it does work. It absolutely, 100%. That's why stories, are that's why we have good stories, because we have multiple different characters. That's why we have good food, because we have different spices. It's like all of these concepts that, that are, are the nature of our reality is built the way it is. Because it's trying to tell us, like, any micro concept is a macro concept. You know, like, mm-hmm. we combine food to make dishes because... Variety is like the spice of life and it's an experience and we're creating a, a an experience. So it's diversity and individuality and, and differentness. Like that's that's what we should be embracing and finding out how we can combine what's different to make things new and better.
1: Yeah. And that's what we have been doing for a long time. It's just I don't think people see. I don't I don't think I, I mean, I think people see it, but I don't think people who are have prejudices that are really really strong see the value in differences mm-hmm. and they don't see what they can do for the world as a whole
0: i think that might come from because they're uh, they've been taught to fear difference you know mm-hmm. fear of the unknown like uh yeah i think it all just comes back to the root of fear and i i've i've figured out a lot of people think that the opposite of love is hate but actually the opposite of love is fear yeah and, and the more we start to understand these concepts like that, the more we can be like, oh, yeah. Because it's my, it's this big thing I have now. And, like, I'll post something kind of provocative. Uh, for instance, like, this lady just, like, was, like, nude covered in masks or something, uh, posing out in front of a grocery store, protesting having to wear a mask or something. And, like, I posted that, and I was, like, an open format of, like, you know, I don't necessarily agree with what this lady is saying, but, like, it's interesting that her experience had drove her... To the point where she is like half naked standing in front of a grocery store to prove a point, you know, like it could cut out. What'd you say?
1: I said like what got her there?
0: Yeah. Right. And like that to me is fascinating. Like, and then everybody is like, wants to like jump on board and like shit on the lady and stuff. But then like I start like peeling, then I'll ask everybody. It's like, okay, so why did you, why do you come to those conclusions about this lady? Because we only know this lady from like this one instance, you know, but this lady is an entirely multi-dimensional being that like was just as complicated and weird as we are. And it's like, and her experience led her to do that. Like that's fascinating to me. And if we could start talking about the root of why we form assumptions about people, I think we're going to start to realize that we make a lot of almost unfounded assumptions about people (laughs) like a lot.
1: Well, people want to have a reason for things and they want to like point blame at somebody. Right. And I think that's why conspiracy theories exist. It's like you it is so terrifying to like not know why certain things are happening. You want something to be in control of it. So you create answers and instead of just kind of embracing the chaos of everything mm-hmm. and how no one really knows what they're doing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, see, and the crazy part is like the there absolutely is like politics is nothing but conspiracy. That's like literally like each politician is conspiring against another politician to move up or get something you know it's like just the way that we've set up american politics it's conspiratorial like it's like, and and just with corporations and things like the, the way that they're like cable companies have like there's like five cable companies that own all of america and they don't infringe on each other's territory and they all raise their prices at the same time and so basically they're one giant company but they've split into five separate companies so they're an oligarch and it's like those are very real conspiracies that are playing out right in front of our eyes and this is the kind of stuff that we should be focusing on it's like Okay, yeah. somebody needs to do something about that because we're all getting screwed because we're paying so much money. And it's like, and they're trying to, dude, they, they, oh man, this is a whole rabbit hole to go down. But like municipal broadband, have you heard about this? No. So there are states that actually were like, screw the big cable companies. We're going to put in a state run uh, cable infrastructure. And they did it and it was amazing. Everybody loved it. It was super cheap and because they basically treated it like a basic utility. But then the major cable networks came in and then they threw like with all these teams of giant corporate lawyers they start smashing this municipal broadband. And it's it's like they're literally stopping progress cuz they're so big. And if you think about it like internet is so important to the growth of culture because if you restrict the access of information, you restrict the the ability to grow and progress culturally. So to me it's like if we want to start fix, solving our problems, we need to like start fixing infrastructure first. Mm-hmm. and then and then culture can follow infrastructure but i mean you know it's i just i don't know i look at things i, I don't know i don't know where i was going i get excited about points now i'm like flustered i'm like
1: oh. <laughs> okay so you're a
0: totally the good company <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man dude i i do see i knew this was going to be a great talk like we just uh we've been we've been talking about it for a while and then we're like you know what we're gonna do it and it, see and it's like i think that uh, my link back to source somewhere along the list, same lines, hits the same branch that yours does. So our minds sort of actually gravitated to each other in this quantum sea. And that's why we're here having this conversation. And so I, we're like relating and we're communicating and it's like, we're resonating. And it's because like, I, I don't think it's an accident.
1: <laughs> I don't think so either. I, it's, it's really weird how that works, but it, it's like a law, right? Like it's a law of the world, like that people are drawn to others who are like them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I don't know if you remember, we did meet at DragCon years ago. Ah, that was
0: yeah. If it was the one DragCon, I was thinking I was very very drunk. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> there's, it's it's weird because like I've had to like it was a really uncomfortable part of my uh, getting sober is that I had had to when I started going back out again i would couldn't remember if i knew people or not and i would like introduce myself and they're like yeah you know i've been to your house uh, like five times and i'm like oh oh yeah all right you <laughs> know it's just like but now i like embrace i'm like you know what i'm just gonna be honest about it it's like yeah i don't
1: remember shit from that time <laughs> love that and you want to like embrace your truth yeah. you know yep but um, you were lovely when I met you. So oh, good. That... Thank
0: you. Thank you. Because I, <laughs> I often, like, that was a part that I worried about. I was like, man, was I, like, shitty or, like, sloppy? Or But then it's like, well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, people seemed to like me at the time. So. <laughs> yeah,
1: not this far. Couldn't have been that bad. <laughs> yeah, I think I was just like, that's that guy from Face Off that had the cool stuff on his hats all the time. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't I I, I didn't been doing anything super remarkable yet so um yeah but i i just had a table there uh, nice. yeah and i think i saw you at um the dragula season three premiere yep yeah that was about it but right. yeah <laughs> those same places too yeah
0: so all right so man ah dude those were awesome awesome topics so now we have see it's like we could have talked about we could have started with your art but like we started with just your life view and i now i feel like we have so much more of already like for the listeners anybody we have like a very robust understanding of who alex is now because we got we went straight to the deep stuff you know oh yeah God. <laughs> so so now let's talk about uh so you found like art was your escape that was your magic place as a kid. Um, Where did, where did that take you? Did you, uh, when you graduated high school, where did, where did you go to pursue art or what?
1: Oh yeah. Well, you know, my, I've been drawing cartoons since I was like two years old, supposedly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was really lucky because my parents immediately were like, Oh, he's going to do art. Like that's his thing. They're, They're, I think they're they're really creative people the way they think and um, so they were always so supportive of that and they would actually push me in ways that I didn't want to be pushed, which was annoying at the time but like so valuable like they were like you need to learn how to like actually draw like still and people and stuff and I was like I just want to draw cartoons I don't want to I don't care about that (laughs) but um, they pushed me and I'm so happy like my dad would give me critiques which seemed really cruel. To be like, dad, look at this drawing I did. And he'd be like, that foot looks weird. Fix it and then show me again. And I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it really made me better. And um, so school was terrible, you know, and um, I wasn't out. Um, and then my last two years of high school, I went to an art high school. I grew, I grew up in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Which is surprisingly a very conservative city there's a lot of um um mormons and a lot of christians and stuff like that uh not really a lot of things for gay people at least back then and uh yeah so my my last years i went to this art school which was notorious in vegas it was called LVA, but everyone called it LV Gay because that's where all the gay people were. And that's the only place in Vegas you could be out and be safe. Mm. And it was the only high school where there were no fights, like oh. physical fights. And uh, yeah, that I before that school, I was I hated everybody because I thought they hated me. It wasn't their fault necessarily. Mm-hmm. I just thought they wouldn't like me if they knew yeah. me. Um, and so when I went there, I, something inside of me was like, you need to start fresh here. You don't know anybody, just be gay, just try it out, see what happens. And immediately it was like, I was popular. I had friends. I was like funny and I didn't know I was funny and, um, people really liked me and I was like, I just, all I had to do was, like, try and be myself. That was it. Like, it sounds cheesy, but it's true. Like, if, if, and, and, um yeah, so that I was able to, like, really grow as an artist because I felt so much love from everybody. Mm -hmm. And that really, like, it made me realize I want to make art that people enjoy, too. Like, it's not just for me anymore. It's, like, I want... I want to make people happy and I want to make stuff that makes people laugh because I enjoy making people laugh and I feel like I'm good at that. Mm -hmm. And, um, so after high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do exactly. Like I I thought I was going to do comics and I went, so I was like doing all these like superhero comics stuff. Mm Um, I, uh, went to Comic-Con to try to get a job and I like made this superhero comic portfolio and I was like I want to be an inker that's what I want to do cuz I love inking and uh but then in the back of my portfolio I had like my really weird fucked up cartoony stuff like with tits and blood and all this stuff and um just I just thought I'd throw it in there for good measure um but I thought that was like my bullshit work uh where I couldn't make money and so I went to like these portfolio reviews and the guys just kind of flipped through my portfolio and were not interested. They were like, no, you're young and you don't really know what you're doing. And um, then I I went to like this artist alley and um, there were these guys that just, they they had like really cool, weird art. And uh, my friend that was with me grabbed my portfolio and put it in front of them and said, look at his stuff. And um, they flipped through my comic book, like hero stuff and thought, oh, this is fine. And then they got to my wacky cartoony stuff And they were like, nope, do this, fuck all that other stuff. Just do this. This is you. This is like what you should do. And uh, I just said, okay. And I just continued to do that. And um, I decided to go to a little animation school in Orange County, moved away from Vegas. Um, I learned animation from uh, some old Disney guys. And then I went back into this thing again where I thought I had to fit a mold. So instead of superhero stuff, it was Disney-ish things. Mm, yeah. And I did that at first and I was like, fuck, this is wrong. Like this is not, I'm not getting their reaction out of people anymore. And then, so I just decided to say, fuck it. I'm just gonna draw tits and dicks and butts and all that. Stuff. <laughs> Uh, And then people responded and they loved it and I was like, okay, I guess I Just need to keep doing this because people respond to it and they like it It makes them happy and it makes me happy Mm -hmm. Uh, And I realized Throughout the years the more I've embraced what I have to bring and what is different about me the more opportunities I get and Just the better my life gets
0: You you know, what's really cool about that is that hearing your story, it's almost like you you discovered yourself twice uh, for when you went to the new school and you were like, I'm just going to be myself. And then immediately everyone resonated with it. And I was like, wow, you know, but then, and then with your art, you experienced the same thing where you were trying to be something that you weren't. And then when you just, you embraced who you were, everybody was like, wow, it resonated. So it's like, I, I think if we dig down into our truest self, that's where we'll find what resonates with people because like it that's where the magic is you know mm-hmm. it's like there's not like I, I you know i i would say like learn what you can from the mold and then break it you know yep. because there there are technical things that you can learn from thinking in different paths and different techniques and things like that but pick what works for you from that and then and then make your own practice your own style your own your own life your own personality you know no, it's, it's t- like you get to be whatever you want and that's like the most magical fucking thing ever
1: you know it's so great <laughs> when you really really think when you really see it and you realize it it's really great and i feel like though you know it's a process too like even though you realize that stuff you have to keep that up because sometimes you forget and i there are several times where i forgot yeah and i had to where I was and who I am and then you
0: know but when uh, you went back uh and then you had to do that process again you learned even more though right yeah yeah so it's a
1: learn like what you don't want to.
0: Yep. <laughs> that's, that's alchemy, man. It's, it's, we go through this, this process like multiple times. It's a cycle that just keeps going. And then you're back at square one and then you do it again. And then it's like each time you refine yourself and you learn a little bit more and more.
1: Yeah. And you have to fail at a bunch of stuff too. Absolutely. And you kind of have to just like try things, even if you don't think they're going to work. And I think relationships can be that way. I think, you know, and everything. You know, that's and, really uh, interesting that you bring that up is that
0: I think, yeah, that's another source of contention too is that if we look at the dating scene and relationships, w- there's so many pressures on us, like societal pressures. Like I need to get married. I need to have kids. I need to do this. Uh, my relationship has to be this way. It has to be a monogamous relationship with one heterosexual person, you know, it's like all of these like little, like this checklist of relationships. Then we go in there with all these expectations. When can you imagine a society? If like dating was like, let's explore each other and find out if we're compatible. And if we're not, that's okay. Like let's support each other on our own endeavor and finding ourselves, you know? And then it's just like a fluid split.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, and finding out if you're compatible could even be like, a several year long process mm-hmm. like, and if so if you remove that pressure like this has to be forever it's more just about experiencing it seeing if it's working and then when it doesn't say goodbye yeah. you know it's i think we just
0: i think it we just we are the source of our own problems a lot of times even though that source comes from the trauma that we've been dealt but it's you know it. We are the gatekeepers of that trauma, and we can it, through work, a lot of uncomfortable work and self introspection and things like you. You can let that stuff go. Hmm.
1: Yeah. If, if if you look back and you had to like kick somebody for ruining your life at any point, it, it's probably you, right? Yeah.
0: Dude. Well, so since we're talking about your art, like I have to like I love it. Like I love you have this Thanks. like your color palette of these like sort of like bright pastels, like just like everything. It's like, it's so unique and it's so you and it's like, I just, I love it, man. It's so kooky and great.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I, um, I like bright colors cause it's like, look at me, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I, I just want people to look. And, um, I felt like the brighter my colors were, the more, uh, they would stand out. And, um, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't want people to look at my stuff, you know. Of course. And I think, I think, like really saturated colors inspire um, intense feelings in people too. Mm-hmm. Like, like you happy or, you know, I, I don't use a whole lot of red because I feel like it's a little too passionate and it's a little too angry. So, I like, in order to like show passionate stuff, but like not in a serious way. Uh-huh. Hot pink, hot yeah. pink is totally that way. Yeah. So um yeah and uh i i don't like attaching like gender to too much stuff either mm-hmm. um, cuz it's just something that i don't think serves anybody to like focus so much on like what gender someone is um so i'll have something with like tits and a dick because and like hairy legs and uh-huh. because it, it's not your business how that how you define that person. It's like they can kind of be whatever they want.
0: Yeah. And that's that's what I'm trying to explore too in uh uh and it, it's interesting too because like I'm trying to find my way too like in exploring sexuality and and themes of gender and stuff because like I fall more on more on the straight spectrum but you know I'm not going to be like I'm just like hardcore straight or anything, you know, but it's like but that's that's what I am and it's like but also I want to open up and explore like yeah. Like you said, like something can have tits and a dick or this into that. And it's like, just mesh it up and, and play with it. And like, it's another medium of expression and like, you know, it, it's, but it, it just sort of like try to break down stigma and barrier by sort of exploring it. And I guess in sort of uncomfortable ways,
1: you know, I mean. Yeah. Uncomfortable, but also funny. Like your stuff is super funny. <laughs> Thanks. And I love it because it's like gross and sexy And I don't know. I remember. Yeah. Like immediately. uh, I'm just going to bring up face off because that's how I first saw you. Yeah. And. um, I had been watching a few seasons already and I was like, oh, this person's different. I like, I like. (laughs) I like this. It seems like they know what they're all about. And I'm really drawn to stuff like that. So it's.
0: Thanks, man. And, you know, it's. it's That, that always, that means like so much to me. And like, uh, and I think, uh, yeah, that's what, that's a lot of, that's a major note that I hear from people that were fans of mine from face off is that like, I seem to just resonate, like just genuine, you know? And, and that came from many years of me figuring out how to be myself in the truest sense of the word. And I think anybody can harness the magic of individuality. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and it's powerful. and it, because it's genuine, it's you, it's not forced. it's flows. and and we're all like if you can tap into that cosmic flow, man, like you could do anything.
1: yeah, you really can. Um, you just have to find your frequency and you know find I think it's not so much about like finding what makes you. Totally happy necessarily, but finding like what you enjoy struggling with. So like, if you enjoy struggling with art, if you enjoy struggling with, you know, um, coding or anything. Like, like pay attention to the things that you just enjoy. Uh, like that make you feel like you forget to eat or bathe, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I'm sure you've spent a lot of nights just making something, and you're like, oh, it's 3 a.m. and yeah. uh, Oh, I like peed on the floor. I didn't even
0: realize. That. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe
1: that's, I don't know. I catheter now. But, um, <laughs> uh, um, That's probably true for somebody. I bet someone catheters. Maybe.
0: It, I'm sure that I guarantee you I, there's a fetish out there for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'm like fascinated by like sexual fetish and the psychology <laughs> behind it. Right? It's like, because like seriously like and all of these like seemingly innocuous things like like did you know there's a fetish for like pedal pumping like in a car like a lady usually in a high heel like just pumps the brake or the gas pedal in a car yeah like and it's like people derive sexual pleasure from that and it's like i'm not judging but it's like man i i but then, like, I'm into weird shit, too, so it's like, well, why, I can't even tell you why I'm into that weird shit. And it's just like, I, and, and I think I think that's why I'm so fascinated by the subject is because, like, that, in a sense, is the truest, deepest, darkest, like, it, when people get into their kinks and their fetishes, that's, like, some deep subconscious stuff that we don't understand. And the only way that we can understand it is through sexual expression and, and consensual experience, you know? Um, and I yeah. guess that's why I'm, cause
1: that's like the deep, dark stuff. Like, Whoa, what's down there? You know, <laughs> and it's like, and we all have it. Yeah. I mean, cause those are things that you are into when you were at your most vulnerable. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, what is the story behind that? I wish I could be turned on by a brake pump. Like <laughs> if easier. I could just, but now I, <laughs> I'm super normal, and uh, well, normal, and um, I'm fascinated by that stuff too. And I have met people who, I don't know, there's something about me that I can't quite pinpoint yet that people feel like they can really tell me anything. Mm-hmm. I've, ha- I've, ha- there was one guy who told me that he enjoyed eating poop in a sexual way. And I was like, uh, okay. Like, cool. I don't judge, but it's, it's also like, why am I the one that you're telling? <laughs>
0: you know? And I don't know, but. Well, I think, I think it is because you have, uh, you have a very, um, inviting energy about you. It's like, and I think it's because you read, like, again, you resonate as a true, genuine person. Like you've, from our talks, like you, you've figured out how to harness your magic of you. And, and that's, that's part of what I mentioned earlier is when we, when we shine our b- lights bright enough, then that's when people find us, even if it's to tell us that they like to eat poop, but it's still, I mean, like that's, you know, he, he
1: got to share that with someone, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause if it's like, if you see someone that it's funny though, cause I still feel like I'm really uncomfortable with, myself mm-hmm. like there's still um there's still so much I want to conquer and like I'm I have I have so many insecurities still and I feel like there's a lot that I still hide mm-hmm. um people but um I think because maybe it's something that I'm always working on and getting better at maybe that's why more mm-hmm. more inviting I don't know
0: I mean, like, and we also have, uh, you know, there's like, you know, you could be an empath too. Like Rani, like, uh, before she understood how to harness the power of being an empath, people would like within mo- like five minutes of meeting her at a party would be telling her like the deepest, darkest secrets that they have. And she's just like, okay, what do I do with this
1: information? You know, like, <laughs> it's true. I mean, I'll meet someone, I'll be in the bathroom in a public restroom. And then I find out that someone's like, you know, son died and that they were there because of the, something and, and that they're now they're like going to transition and be, I don't know, like it could just go into a million things and
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. You have to, you have to, um, you should talk to Rani sometimes. She could help you with that. Like she understands that world a lot.
1: I would love that. Yeah. Oh, maybe it, she could
0: do a, uh, she's been doing some bone reading. Maybe she could do bone reading for you. What's that? It's like, so she, she throws bones, and then so her spirit guides connect with your spirit guides, and then they pass information between spirit guides, and then she relays that information back to you through what she sees in the bones.
1: Okay, let's do it.
0: Okay, right. I'll, I'll talk to her after this, but. Uh, do, I,
1: do I need to provide the bones?
0: No, she hasn't. Yeah. So, it's, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: yes, you have to, your blood and bone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did break my foot, so um, maybe we could just cut my foot off and give that to her. There you go. <laughs> Woo! Oh no, you got the boot.
0: Yeah. So, uh, uh, so you found your your true style, and that that carried you to places. Uh, and then you do you work you work at Titmouse now, right? Or or yeah, with, I'm, has,
1: yeah. I'm directing. A, it's for a Netflix show because Titmouse Netflix kind of like signed a thing. So Tim Mouse nice. is going to be made up for Netflix for like two years or something. Awesome. Um, which, by the way, animation is booming right now more than I like ever. Um, and so, yeah. So this show um, that I, I'm directing three episodes, it's called Q-Force. Um, I can't say a whole lot about it, mm-hmm. but um, it's been announced. And um, it's about a queer secret agent Team. and it kind of covers a lot of bases like it's not just gay it's you know it's it's um the all types of queer nice. experience but it's through like this action like James Bond kind of like Brooklyn Nine-Nine sort of nice thing and uh I think I think it's gonna be really special to people and I, I hope people like it um and uh it's it's my directorial debut really nice. so um, for that to be the show that I first direct is kind of a big deal for me mm-hmm. I never would have thought that I'd be making a show about gay secret agents as a kid like that's wild yeah that's awesome though yeah and I I, I think because it's like in this industry in animation mm-hmm. um, there really aren't A lot of queer voices like at all um i mean there's definitely more now and i think like rebecca sugar and who made cv universe and um you know there are several other shows where there is more queer voices coming out um but i feel like i only got this because i was always so vocal about my own experience and you know, putting queerness into my own personal work. And I think it just proves that if you really find out what makes you unique and, and make yourself really good at it, then you have something to bring to the party and you can get a reaction out of people. You know, you don't wanna make stuff that people are just like okay with. Like you wanna get like a reaction, whether it's like extremely good or extremely bad. like. But, um, I don't think I've ever really had extremely bad reactions. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to know because a lot of it's online, <laughs> right That's true. Yeah. It's funny because like uh, I
0: was trying to I was wondering what I was gonna call this episode and like we, I think we really keep touch. the through line of our conversation is individuality for sure. And it's finding that true self because once you find that it, it helps with your art because you're not forcing anything. You want to, you want to creatively unblock yourself, figure out who you are, know yourself, and then you won't have any, it'll just flow out of you, man. So naturally.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you, you have so much to give to the group and the group being like your team or, you know, um, Animation in general, like you have something special and I feel like, I feel like everyone's capable of it. They just have to find out what exactly their frequency is. Right. Yep. And usually video and then you finally get it and you're like, okay, now I can just listen and yeah. Thanks.
0: absolutely yeah I, I really think that's that's how our our consciousness works it's like radio stations and most people are turned between stations all the time so you're hearing like garbled garbledy gook you know So you really got to tune in that that station so when you uh when you direct animation can you walk me through like what's that like what's that process like because i know like i direct like film and i know how that works but how do you direct animation
1: i'm still figuring it out but uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know, I think when you have a clear idea, you say it and you tell your artists. Cause like I have um, three main board artists, storyboard artists. Um, and I'm, do you know how, you know how storyboards work, right? Yeah.
0: It, it basically. So, I mean, you can kind of just give us a brief overview of the whole thing for listeners too. So,
1: okay. So like storyboards are, it's kind of like the rough draft of the show. So, you're not going to have it fully animated and colored. It's it's they're like this, it's the sketchy version where you can still, what's going You can still tell what's going on um, and you just like establish this base for the animators to go off of.
0: It's almost like a comic book
1: kind of kind of, yeah. It's just, they're all the same panel and you have a lot more poses Mm -hmm. and uh, you, you know, acting is really important staging the, the characters and you know mapping out where they are and all that stuff is really important. And um, deciding you know you're deciding where the camera goes and how it's going to um, make the audience feel. So like um, you know really simple ways, uh, if you want a character to feel really alone and isolated, you a, a, an easy way to do that is to draw the character smaller and like where you can see their entire body and you can see the horizon line, you can see the floor, and they're in the center, and you just, like, cut back and kind of show how much emptiness is around them, and that immediately tells the audience that this person feels alone. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you really want, like, a lot of tension in a scene, you cut in really close to somebody, mm. stuff like that. And um, so as a director, you can't like control what the board artists are doing, but you can kind of guide them on the feelings that you want and like any shot structure you want. Um, and, uh, it really is, um, about just being super decisive. And even if you don't know what the right thing is to do, you just have to say, do that. If it doesn't work, we'll fix it. But like, you just have to keep, that momentum going. Mm -hmm. It can be a little maddening because you're not always right and uh you you have to like set your ego to the side while also being really confident or at least seeming confident right that you know what you're doing Uh but you don't you have no idea how it's gonna turn out. Yeah much work and there's so many layers to it i mean there's the board artists the designers the background artists the prop designers um the voice actors the writer like it's just there's so many layers and you're just part of you're like one gear in this thing Mm -hmm. have to keep turning so then all the other gears can turn too yeah
0: That's why it seems so fascinating because like in film, it's like you got your actors there and you're literally watching it play out in real time. And as a director, you can be like, can you do this a little bit better or a little bit different? And that, you know, it's like, boom. And then you fix it. And then it's like, then it's in the can, but it's like animation. It's like, you, you say all these things and then you hope that everybody's on the same page. And then is there a time where you'll watch back a scene and then you're like, shit, we got to, we need to do, we have to change this scene or
1: does that happen like a lot or yeah it does and yeah like i'll so someone will turn in a scene and we'll watch it together or i'll watch it alone um also i'm doing all this from home by the way so that's Mm. another challenge oh yeah yeah i didn't even think about that yeah and it's my first time doing it so it's like am i doing this on hard mode i don't know um and uh yeah so like I'll, i'll i'll give notes and i'll say like oh you know move the camera a little bit this way or maybe um the character would be acting this way, have them act this way. Um, I like to do more, like, little tweaks than, like, big changes. I like to trust people and, mm-hmm. like, let them go with their gut. Uh, but give them enough to go off of yeah. initially. Um,
0: Are the voice lines recorded before the animation? Do you animate yeah. around voice? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and um, some shows like our show is like we get a radio play. So we get like all the dialogue is recorded and, um, we draw to that and we can, we can adjust the timing a little bit here and there, Mm -hmm. but then there are cartoons where, um, they're given an outline and the storyboard artists kind of write it and they Uh write the dialogue. So they do the boards and then the dialogue is recorded. So mostly in adult shows, the writing and the dialogue is done first. Um, but uh yeah so it's it's in a way it's kind of nice so then you just get to like pump up the acting visually
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's cool and do you do you direct the actors in their vo- delivery of their voice lines too
1: no oh interesting no that,
0: is there that's, a separate director for that
1: Hmm. interesting yeah there's so many like everyone is so important In. Mm-hmm. Like we all really like, no, I don't think any job is more important than the other in animation yeah. down to production. I mean, if you have a bad production coordinator, it like really sucks. And, um, yeah, we need non-artists in there too.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dude. Like, <laughs> I just think it like, trying to get my artist friends to do anything together is like, it's a chaotic, chaotic shit show, you know? Like, and it's like, yeah, we need like, there is a definite, it goes back to what you're saying it's like everybody can find their place and everybody has a place to find with whatever their unique talent is because everything that is produced is such a product of so many minds coming together to accomplish a a task Mm
1: -hmm. yeah we need we need people that aren't uh crazy artist types and (laughs) like we're making this stuff for the general public like we need we need someone to be like rainy <laughs> right yeah for sure yeah it's, it's like I, that's why i'm grateful of like for rainy like she's like
0: a wacky crazy artist too but she is, like she also has like the sensibilities to like help keep us like <laughs> reigned in you know like cuz i am just i'm a pure chaotically neutral like entity so i'm like always all over the place so it's nice to have like somebody a grounding force
1: (laughs) (laughs) i yeah i'm i'm like i think i'm a bit balanced in a way because like i realized i was kind of crazy so i created like this sounds this sounds nuts but i created like a person in my mind who is very logical and can like keep me in check. And uh, whenever I feel like I'm losing it a little bit, I just pretend to be him, like whatever my idea of him is. And then he's the one that like cleans the house and bathes and all this stuff and like takes care of me. And then I can put him away and be crazy again because so much of my life has, like, yeah, I have a lot of friends and I'm, I'm not, Like lonely but there was a long time where I was very alone in my head too and so there are just certain things I um manifested within me to like survive Mm -hmm. feel like I can function
0: um that's 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 really interesting. Like that's that's a cool, like a powerful, practical visualization tool to help people navigate life. And I'm all about that. And it's also because I say spirituality is practicality. And it's, it's interesting, too, because like that concept is almost similar to like the concept of spirit guides where we have these energies that are their character archetypes. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and you have that character that is gets shit done and is like on point and on time. And it's like, I, it's, it's interesting to think. I wonder if like you're actually like that's one of your spirit guides and you've imagined them, but actually that was a spirit guide that was already with you, and that's the your way of interfacing with the spirit
1: guide. Maybe it's an interesting I mean, way to think about it. We all kind of have two parts of us, and I feel like we subconsciously create characters that do too. I mean, look at like why. Why are superheroes so popular? Like they, there's two, and they, they're all two different people. Like, like Clark Kent is like this nerdy guy who's like a writer at a newspaper. Or I forget what he is. Yeah. And um, and then <laughs> Superman is like a completely different person. And I feel like, um, we all have that in us to just have, um, you know, like two two sides of our brain that. Can work together. Um, it's it's it takes like a conscious effort though, and I felt like like the the repre- the representation of that in like superheroes or even like Pee-wee Herman. Paul Rubens is nothing like Pee-wee Herman. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's able to get what he needs to get done by being Pee-wee Herman, and what he wants to do is make people laugh, make people feel creative, um, also create at the time. Uh, create a space for other artists to express themselves and he did that through this character that either he made up or who he truly is and um, I think there's nothing crazy about that nope. it's just kind of like how you can best get your shit done in a sense, it's just mental
0: and 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 possibly spiritual mastery. Like you, you recognize and realize the archetypes in your head, and then you know when to apply the right energy to the right situation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's even like in psychology, they say, you know, in order to get past shame and um, you know past traumas and stuff, you really have to nurture the, your your child that's in you, mm-hmm. another part of you, yep. and yeah, there, we have so many different facets that need nurturing and support. And if you do that, those parts of you will support you as well, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, it's like you're collecting allies almost, you know. And it's like once I started to be befriend my shadow parts and my darker aspects, like they became my allies. And I, I was rather than hiding them and then they were manifesting in subconscious terrible habits – I was recognizing them and utilizing their best qualities and that way that they, they don't manifest as bad qualities.
1: Mm-hmm. And it goes back to, so like, like those dark parts of yourself that you're like shaming and saying they're terrible and all this stuff, they're only going to get worse because that is what you're making them to be. You are saying that they're bad. Oh, an interesting way to look like, Oh, go ahead. I think you're about to say it, but like that is what you do with people that, are prejudiced in some way. Like, you cannot just, like, label them as that and make them into bigger monsters than what they really are because then that's exactly what they're going to do. Yeah. And... Dude, and that tie-in about
0: the kid, like the, our younger sh- child. Imagine your shadow aspects as a child, and you're just like berate. Like, and then this happens to us in real life. Like we yell, you yell at a kid, you abuse a kid, and they internalize this trauma, and then they become up to like have bad programming and reflect that. So it's like, wow, I never really thought about like our shadow aspects as kids that we, you know, berate and, and shame. Of course they're going to they, they, all they know is beratement and shame for trying to be who they are.
1: Mhm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, why do you think I don't know if I want to get into this, but like certain priests that are pedophiles and stuff? I mean, I think that comes from repression. Of, Absolutely. Of any I mean, that's that's it right there is like that's raw repression and those are some serious consequences and it's like when you shame and repress somebody that doesn't just hurt them it hurts all the people around them like they're going to you know and yeah i mean like
0: what's the common denominator there it's like why are like catholic priests like it's a huge thing it's like a huge deal that's like covered up but that that's another story but it's like what we know about it it is a very large problem and also that that also lends like when I talked earlier about like homophobics or racist and stuff, like unfortunately and uncomfortably pedophiles fall in that category too. Is that like, I, I don't know how, and this is like a really uncomfortable conversation to have, but it's like, I don't know. Somehow. I think the only way we're going to figure out how to help people with pedophilia is somehow having honest, open conversations about it or something. You know what I mean? Because like, I, I'm sure like I would think that anybody that is a pedophile probably doesn't particularly want to be, you know, or like in a sense, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, there's so many no, layers there. you know what I'm trying to say?
1: It's, I mean, we're definitely like tiptoeing on this line, right? Where it's, it's something that is so awful and so unforgivable. Um, but wanting to know like the root of it and being able to like rehabilitate is good
0: mm-hmm. but it's like so terrible that we don't even want to touch like how can we rehabilitate or help people it's like whoa fuck you you know what i mean it's
1: like oh i mean you don't even want to know that person because yeah. it's something that's so terrible but but truly if, if it is something that they want to not be then i feel like the world kind of owes them a hand in that like we should we should help people yeah who want to hurt people yeah absolutely Absolutely. that is that's that is the
0: this the sensical conclusion to that is like yeah exactly as you said it we should help people not hurt people (laughs) you know like yeah, and it's like the, the R. Kelly story is a fascinating example of what happens when it goes on to like celebrity culture and just like enablers of like, this guy had a problem and he told people he had a problem. Like he knew he was a monster, but everybody around him just enabled him to do it because he's fucking R. Kelly, you know? And it's just like, that's like so tragic and so sad and so horrible on so many levels.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a way to love someone and not enable them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to do. It's, is. Uh, I think, no matter how helpful your advice could be for someone, they really have to want to put in the work and change themselves. I mean, you know that, beating addiction. It's like, people could tell you forever, like, you need to stop. But it's like, you had to hit that point where it was so bad where you were like, oh, no, this is not what I want to be. This is not my future.
0: Yep. And, and I went that far into the darkness. Like, really, like, I'm grateful for that time because I sprung back that much harder. Like, because I, like, I always say the dark parts of your life are like dungeons and dungeons and dragons. Like, you venture into them, and that's where all the good, like, treasures and, and like, mystical artifacts hide. But the trick is you got to make it back out of those alive. And then when yeah. you are, you have experience points, and you're stronger for it, and you have like you know mystical items and stuff. So it's like you, we should venture into the dark, but we should always find our way back.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, and, and if you've been there and you have all these treasures, you can share them with other people. Absolutely, like, and maybe save that. Maybe save them the trip. You know, because some some people don't make it back. <laughs> you
1: know. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the worst. Um.
0: Yeah, man. Wow. We like he talked about so many awesome things. Like <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is thank you. I
1: just want to thank you for this like genuinely awesome conversation. Thank you. I feel great. I, I mean I've been really introspective lately. Because I cuz I live alone. I'm totally alone. Uh-huh. Um, and breaking my foot made me even more alone, so I I had a lot of time to think about stuff. <laughs> right on. Well,
0: uh, man, I, well, well, I, blah, words. Um, definitely want to have you back because like, and then, because we we talked about all this awesome stuff, but then like, we'll have you back next time and we could talk about like more, we'll really dive into animation and, or, you know, or whatever topics we end up on or something. <laughs> sure.
1: I mean, yeah. And we fun. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I like talking about, yeah, is this philosophy? I don't know. Yeah. And I, see, and that's that's
0: what I'm trying to do with the reverentism is like make philosophy cool and hip again, like thinking oh, think thinking is right. cool, man, you know, like and it's important <laughs> yeah. and and we've been among everything else that we've been shamed for in life, we've also been shamed for even trying to think about topics, <laughs> you know, so it's like let's all just take a collective chill pill and start exploring uncomfortable things through talk and speculation and you know like,
1: and listening to people
0: yeah that's like. I just thought about like earlier it's like how <laughs> as I cut you off <laughs> <it's> <laughs> how how important it is to just listen like I've started this thing on my on my Facebook I'll post something interesting possibly inflammatory and then I just listen to people like I don't have to I don't have to prove them wrong I don't have to counterpoint them I don't I just thank them for their perspective you know, mm-hmm. those people just want to be heard, and maybe we'll learn
1: something. Yeah, and uh, was it like Mister Rogers said, like everyone knows something you don't, or some, or everyone knows something that you don't know.
0: Yeah, and that—that's I'm vaguely I, remembering I, I, it, but yeah, but that's the gist <laughs> of it. But that's that's a good, yeah, that's a good one. I always say that people are mirrors in which uh, show us parts about ourselves that we can't see.
1: Mm-hmm. Or don't, or don't want to
0: that's true yeah sometimes it's hard to look in the mirror <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's why parents get ashamed of their kids because their kids are living out the things that their parents wanted to not uh, let out of the cage they put it in or something it's
0: true but oh, that's I, mean, I think I think we can sum all of that up in everyone is happiest when they're themselves
1: and it's not only good for you but it's good for the world for sure absolutely
0: so where can people find you on the interwebs
1: uh, my porn hub is um, <laughs> uh, uh, mostly just Instagram uh-huh. I want to start like making YouTube videos and stuff too but I mean I'm so busy But um, next time we do this I will probably have a YouTube up but yeah just my Instagram at Alex D D as in dog, Mm -hmm. Salier as in Slayer, but you switch the A and the L.
0: Oh, interesting. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, you guys should definitely uh, check out his work because it's awesome and I love it.
1: Thank you. I love you.
0: (laughs) Thanks. So the feeling is mutual, man. Like, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, we we got all this like weird, like hangups on like being able to say you love somebody, but it's like when we, we just had like a unique and genuine connection. And that, that's, that to me is love, man. Like why, why is that? Why is that weird or shameful to say, like, yeah, dude, I love you too. Like, this has been a great time, and, and thank you for the experience. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, <laughs> The world needs more love, man. I'll tell you that much.
1: <laughs> True. I'm. That's my mission.
0: Mine too. And uh, that's probably why we're having this conversation right now. <laughs> but, uh, well, thanks so much, man, and we'll definitely have you back.
1: Thank you. See you later.